Welcome to Transition Gadgets 360's gaming and pop culture podcast. In today's episode we have two different segments, one on games and the other on pop culture as well. So first up we are going to be talking about games which includes a lot of updates around Microsoft featuring Age of Empires, Player Unknowns, Battlegrounds, Xbox and some updates from Gamescom. Apart from Final Fantasy 15's PC edition, Overwatch getting some more updates and some price drops on HTC Vive and other uh, games coming to India which we'll reveal shortly. And we also want to talk about Yakuza Kiwami, Uncharted Legacy and EA's announcement about Mass Effect Andromeda which may disappoint a lot of people. So as you can see, it's an action-packed podcast today. So to talk about these updates, we have our podcast regulars. Uh, first up, games editor Rishi Alwani. Good morning. Actually, because it's extremely early at the yeah. time of recording, which could also explain why Pranay said Uncharted Legacy, not Uncharted: The Lost Legacy. I can't blame him. It's tough to remember words this early. Yeah, it is really way too early. Friend of the podcast, Mikhail Madnani is also here. So when you say pop culture, do you mean pop pop culture? <laughs> oh no, six seasons in a movie, dude. Never forget yeah. community <laughs> reference. <laughs> So yeah. Yeah, that. And I'm your host Pranay Parab. So I think first of all we should start by talking about all these Microsoft updates in one. Um first up maybe Xbox what's happening at Gamescom. It's a it's a pre-known exclusive podcast right now. Oh, you mean we're up before noon and not yeah. up at noon. IGN <laughs> reference there rather. Anyway, jokes aside, so yeah, uh Gamescom's been going on this week uh and it's for those of you who don't know, Gamescom is Europe's largest uh video game event. It's the European equivalent to E3. Uh from a press standpoint though, uh, the last couple of years of Gamescom have been rather low key. There haven't been any massive huge announcements. Uh the only thing of note this year is the fact that Microsoft has uh, announced the pre-order uh, the pre- that you can actually pre-order an Xbox One X and they've also really they've also announced an oh, wait wait hold for the hold on an Xbox One X Project Scorpio edition Woo-hoo! which basically is I mean if you think about it quite literally an Xbox One X Xbox One X edition uh they decided to go with the project scorpio monica because ever since the name was announced apparently it caught on and this is basically a special edition of the xbox one x which has well um gra- uh, stylings and aesthetics similar to the classic 2001 original xbox so yeah th- and it comes with a vertical stand and it's priced at the same price as a standard xbox one x which is $499 no india price yet at the time of recording because uh, microsoft india has not confirmed whether india is even getting it at this stage so they announced that they announced pre-orders and uh, it's 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 about time people can finally pre-order it the reason why people couldn't pre-order it when it was announced at e3 uh in E3 2017 was because uh Microsoft still had to get through FCC certification and since all of that's been done uh people in the US uh can finally pre-order it and European pre-orders have also gone live uh so that was one of the major announcements from uh Gamescom from Microsoft yeah i saw some funny tweets about how this christmas you can play Forza Motorsport 7 Cuphead and a couple of other games exclusively on Xbox Uh I don't know if it's exclusive anymore because I mean 
again, right, throughout Microsoft's entire live stream, they use the world, they use the words world premiere and exclusive as liberal as well. I mean, some of the world premiere stuff was already shown at E3, so I don't get it. It's yeah. more like European premiere live stream while we're in Europe exclusive or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it, I, like, forget that Project Scorpio console, while the actual console looks good, the controller looks like garbage. Why would you have a vertical, why would you have vertical text which says Project Scorpio in the middle of the controller? I mean, I mean compare that to what they did for the Xbox One S, which is getting an insane Minecraft bundle. Oh, yes. It's a custom console, which looks like an actual brick yeah. in Minecraft. The back of it has redstone. It's like translucent and stuff. And the controller's a creeper. And that actually looks good. So I don't know what they did with the their quote-unquote premium console, which looks like kind of tacky. At so, least the controller. So wait, In fact, you should... They have a bundle which is uh, $599 instead of $500, which includes an Elite controller. And the funny thing is the Elite controller is still using their old tech. It's not upgraded to the new wireless. It's not It's not going to work wirelessly on Windows unless you have an adapter and it's just baffling. So. Yeah, but and speaking of uh, the, uh, coming back a bit to the uh, Microsoft uh, Xbox One S uh, uh, Minecraft Limited Edition, uh, what's really cool is the fact that it actually, I mean, to me, it's one of the most detailed uh, versions of a collector's edition console we've seen this generation, and it definitely goes above and beyond what Microsoft's done in the past. They've done they've done some interesting things with uh, with Halo Five. They've done some interesting things with uh, Forza Forza Six. But to see the level of detail they've gone to with Minecraft is actually pretty nice. And what's interesting is that they did mention that this is out on October three in all markets except for China and Brazil, which basically means there is a good possibility India finally gets the Xbox One S on October 3. Now, uh, we obviously reached out to Microsoft India for comment and uh, by the time they deem it fit to check their email and reply, uh, there is a good chance yeah, that this could eventually be the date we get an Xbox One S console in India officially. Um, that aside, it comes with some interesting bonuses, you know, DLC, uh, download, uh, DLC code for, uh, code for the game, any other creeper controller, which is really cool. And it also actually uh, coincides, I think, with the release date for the new retail edition of Minecraft for Xbox One, Xbox, the whole Xbox One family of systems, I may as well say now, which has the super mega ultra texture pack, which makes it look a little more realistic. And it includes some more skin packs. So this will be the fourth Xbox One retail version of Minecraft. The first one was just Minecraft, then they added a favorites pack, then they added Xbox One birthday update pack or some nonsense. And now you finally have this one. And uh, this is when you'll probably see a retail release for Switch also for Minecraft because it's been digital so far. And uh, retail copies are usually more expensive, so that'll give them an excuse to throw in some skin packs when they do this. Uh, so yeah, it, it's... It's like I was really excited when I saw it. I thought maybe trade in my original Xbox One S and get this. And then you see the price, which is $400 when you can get an Xbox One S for $250 now. Yeah, and then even if you look at it in India, I mean, a 500 gig uh, Xbox One S in the gray market goes for as low as 15,000 rupees. Yeah. So I, I don't know at what premium it's going to come in here when it does. Oh, it also has custom sounds and all that, which is, again, something which Microsoft is good at doing as far as i know the uh, custom playstation 4s have not had uh, custom sounds i think no. only the mgs5 one had maybe but i'm probably yeah. wrong uh microsoft's been better with custom consoles this gen i'd say oh yeah definitely but then i think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that when you're second best you try harder yeah so, i mean that's why we have backward compatibility right otherwise it would never be a thing we'd still be like using one disc and then you can't share it with other people if there was no competition so <laughs> Yep. So that's there. Uh, so hardware announcements aside, uh, they also did announce that uh, the, 
that they're going to be publishing uh, player knowns battlegrounds on the Xbox one I like there's something which a lot of people missed here I think the announcement states that uh, they will be exclusively someone caught on to this where it says that they can actually publish it on PS4 also if they want kind of like how uh, Microsoft publishes Minecraft on all other platforms and they signing this exclusivity for publishing on consoles I think it leaves it open so that they can actually publish on PS4 and like take a cut from those sales also when it eventually shows up in 6 months to 1 year and yes it will show up because uh, aside from throwing around exclusive 100 times the final thing says console launch exclusive which is the same as uh, almost every indie game which launches on Xbox yeah, which eventually shows up on PS4 yeah the exceptions obviously being stuff like Cuphead which is not oh, yeah, and uh, Ori and the Blind Forest which are like hard yeah like console exclusives for Xbox. Exactly. So uh what what's interesting with this announcement was the fact that uh Bluehole the company behind PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds has said that uh by letting by giving publishing rights to Microsoft they essentially get access to a whole bunch of resources and uh, information on how to make their game better for the Xbox One. Now what to me that just seems a little weird because uh, at the end of the day considering that the considering that both the Xbox one and the PS4 have architectures that's similar to the PC and you know player knows battlegrounds has become this massive hit on PC you think that there wouldn't be too much to learn from and even if you think about it other games that have caught on on steam like arc uh, like uh, arc survival evolved or even elite dangerous uh even though they they did come to Xbox first in terms of game uh, game preview access early access or whatever you want to call it uh they didn't particularly i mean they sold well enough but they 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 haven't reached the same level of astronomical success that they've seen on steam so it's it to me it's still a, a point of concern i think that it's a situation where microsoft has more to learn from bluehole than than bluehole has to learn from microsoft because we're yet to see a breakout success uh that replicates what steam's able to do for people like bluehole for people like uh the guys behind arc for for the guys behind uh, elite dangerous so to me it's going to be very interesting to see what the learnings are and how that works out but because they're pushing it hard as if it were a first party title but uh, i don't know to me it just seems they have more to learn about it hmm yeah so in i mean moving on to other games that were big at gamescom uh, age of empires we heard something about it we heard a lot about age of empires so much so that microsoft decided to give it its own separate stream a day later at an ungodly midnight india time uh and uh, while there was a lot of uh, you know nitty gritty on on how they're shaping the story and what to expect and what the games are coming and what games are coming out they announced two things of note one is obviously age of empires 4 which uh, has a very cool choice of a developer in my opinion it's going to be developed by relic also it's going to be a half moba half rts which has tons of dlc and is actually not a good game oh so you mean halo wars 2 yeah <laughs> <laughs> jokes aside uh, relic is relic's the developer responsible for the excellent dawn of war series uh, mm. we played dawn of war 3 loved it quite a bit we'll, and they also made a company of heroes which is also really cool it's an interesting choice because uh, relic's strengths are on uh, Uh, um, have more to do with unit combat and and management of such units rather than you know the entire gamut of uh, managing resources and managing uh, your 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 economy which is what age of empires also entails so uh, they're going to be developing age of empires for microsoft didn't show off any gameplay sadly uh, all they said was a very all they had was a very uh, kind of like a pre- a a, tra- a trailer for the game that kind of looked like it was made in powerpoint which has had slides of various uh 
part of various wars in history. Oh, so mm-hmm. you mean it's using the Tacoma performance? There we go. One. So they had uh, one one screen which had the ancient Rome, another one with World War Two, and and they had a voiceover which was talking about how you can battle through history. Now that's I mean not exactly a novel concept because games like Empire, Earth, and Civilization allowed you to do that as well, where you where you'd control a certain faction, a certain area over a period of 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 time, and that period would stretch from the Stone Age all the way up to the space and beyond. So how microsoft takes this what direction they decide to take the game in will be very very interesting to see more so considering that like i said relics uh, focus and specialty is on the uh, is on the unit combat is on the cool stuff you can do with various units is on versatility versatility so how this works out will be interesting uh, i would have thought they would have gone to creative assembly creative assembly is the studio behind the total war franchise they, they to me seem like a better fit and considering that sega owns both studios uh, relic and creative assembly i mean i won't be surprised if we see creative assembly's influence on in this game in one in one form or another we don't have any release date we don't have any pricing we don't have any platforms but it's safe to say this will be pc no it's with. coming to windows for sure but uh... As far as I know, it's going to be on the Windows Store and not at launch. It's not going to be on Steam at launch, if ever. So if it comes to Steam, it'll be months later, and yeah, it's going to launch. But I'm I'm pretty surprised to not to see it not show up on Xbox One because obviously, like, come on, Relic and all that, and Age of Empires PC thing and all. But given how well Halo Wars and Halo Wars Two play with a controller, even though they've been built from the ground up for it, I think they could have uh, got it running on Xbox. They may do it in the future. But uh, yeah, that was pretty surprising because like you're window- doing a Windows Store exclusive, you're not going to make much money. I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, while I do agree completely that an Xbox One version of Age of Empires would be awesome, I, I, I think uh, the way I think about it is Microsoft's leveraging its IPs that people hold near and dear uh, so that people can actually use the Windows Store. I think all of this is one gigantic user acquisition push to ensure people use the Windows Store. I mean, Store. yeah, that's why they started putting games on like Windows 10 in the first place. They just want people in the ecosystem. Yeah, they don't care how people... I mean, so many people bought Gears of War through those uh, and got scammed also in some cases through the NVIDIA promo, which eventually made NVIDIA change how they deal with uh, free games with hardware. So I don't know, like I'm interested to see, but yeah, like them doing a separate announcement thing. And also they announced Age of Empires 1 and Age of Empires 3 definitive edition which would be like Age of Empires 2 HD, which will include all the DLC and it will be upgraded and a proper upgrade, unlike a game which Blizzard recently remastered, but we'll get to that. In a yeah, bit. so the thing is, it seems like uh, all of all of these are obviously going to be Windows 10 exclusives. So, you know, if you, if you thought you could pick them up on Steam, that doesn't seem to happen just yet. And what's, here's something to keep in mind. Uh, Quantum Break, which ended up coming to PC, uh, had a Steam release later. And again, that's because uh, Microsoft doesn't own, if I'm not mistaken, Microsoft doesn't own the IP. It's, it's still owned by um, uh, Remedy. And which is why, okay, that option's there. But then if you look at what Microsoft's done with, it, with its own IPs recently, uh, the Forza Horizon 3 is probably not going to come to Steam. Neither is Gears of War. Simply because they've seen the numbers, they know that it works. I mean, uh, on Microsoft's Gamescom livestream, uh, the guys from Forza have said that people have been putting in, uh, they, they've seen like a lot of active users. I think the number was close to a couple of million. So, you know, they're, they're not 
exactly hurting right now and every bit helps and if you think about it everything's essential the, the way it seems to be run if you think about it without looking if, if you just zoom out and look at how microsoft's arranging everything they want windows to be at the core of what you do be it on xbox be it on on your phone through you know the live services or be it on your pc so everything seems to be one giant user acquisition push to windows 10 so and i don't see that changing particularly with age of empires because let's be honest it's a franchise everyone's heard about i mean even till this day uh, people who don't play games even in india still talk about age of empires still have that affinity towards it yeah but i think we should expect a completely different game from age of empires 4 as opposed to age of empires uh, 1 2 and 3 well um, like if it as long as it's not age of empires 3 it's already an improvement so as yeah. long as it's not a moba it's all good yeah that's true i I I'd, i'd say that even it being a moba would be an improvement on age of empires 3 i hate that game yeah. why and i i still have a copy of that i remember buying the complete edition which they released it had like some five dvds or something what a waste Wow, or five CDs maybe. Yeah, so as good as Age of Empires two and the expansions were. Two, yeah. I, yeah. I, like where's Rise of Nations two? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Rise of Nations is getting crossplay. Wow. Between cross Windows between Store, two PC stores, wow. <laughs> <and> Steam. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, the way I see it, 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 they're, they're, I won't be surprised that next year we're probably going to see Flight Simulator make a comeback with another developer, and hey, guess what? It's going to be Windows Store exclusive. Yeah, so I'm actually not very excited about this Age of Empires update, even though you know it's getting a new game in the series. I think that Microsoft is just trying to leverage the IP. Uh, if they really cared about the game, then you know they would have actually improved on Age of Empires 2, or at least uh, built a game, um, released a game that was as good. Because that is when they really hit the peak in the series. After that, as Mike said, it wasn't that good. I mean, I played the whole Indian campaign in Age of Empires 3, and I was not impressed, frankly. I think a lot of it also has to do with the studio. So, uh, but will of... the Cobra car make a return in Age of Empires Four? <laughs> oh. I I think we probably will have some homage to it. Oh wait, there it'll probably be a five dollar separate DLC to use. <laughs> Again, wouldn't know what you kids are talking about because I've never played a an Age of Empires game. Okay. Yes, bombs have been dropped. I uh, mean, it's fine. You you wasted your you played Half Life, which is a waste, but you've not played Age of Empires. It's cool. Yeah. So, but what's but what 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 should be noted is that uh, none of these. I mean, as we said earlier, right? They're developed by Relic. They at least Age of Empires Four is being developed by Relic. It's not being done by Ensemble, who was the original studio behind the franchise. Who got who basically got canned when Halo Wars failed. Yeah, the first Halo Wars yeah. game. Yeah, Halo didn't fail actually. It sold quite well. So One then, why did they can the studio? Because it's Microsoft. It okay. It sold under expectations. What? But what were the expectations? I don't know. So they basically got IO'd. Yeah, they got I. But for those of you who don't know, IO is a studio who made Hitman, and they got canned by Square Enix, who was their publisher and yeah. owner. And now they're publishing the next season of Hitman on their own. So yeah. Yeah. That. Mm. All right. So uh, moving to other games, which sort of got canned. Oh wait, um, no. Before that, so what were the other stuff? Microsoft did some Kinect remasters or some nonsense. What is that all yeah, about? Yeah. So there was a section where they talked about games which came on the Xbox 360, like Kinect Adventure, Disney, Disney Kinect yeah. Adventures, and some Kinect Rush game, and both they're getting re-releases on the Xbox One. Are, are they still Kinect games? Yes, they talked about Kinect. So you need Kinect still? Yeah. In 2017. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that it's a thing. I mean, even the Vita is more relevant than connected 2017. I know, right? Because Steins Gate, so yeah. Okay, speaking of other things which are dead, Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh yeah, so uh, EA released a statement earlier in the week, which uh, basically said that they're not 
planning for any single player downloadable content or updates to Mass Effect Andromeda. Now, this has severe implications. For one, it basically means that the concept of buying a game and uh, expecting a certain level of, of service and performance can be thrown out the window effectively. We've seen one-offs like this in the past with Arkham Knight. And uh, to Warner Brothers' credit, it took them close to a year. It's playable on PC, but it took them close to a year. Now we're in a situation where Mass Effect Andromeda, barely six months old, is not getting any more updates to the game. Now, personally, I haven't had a problem with the game's performance on PC or, or consoles, but that's just me. Others still are facing issues. There are some animation bugs. There are some uh, other glitches, but then they're, they're not going to get. A, they're not going to have any updates. EA is basically condemned the game to abandonware status and that's but they still said that the people handling the multiplayer will be posting an update about the support they are going to give to that aspect of the game so they essentially kill story and single player content yeah for the future so if you just bought it for single player it's done it's not getting anything and what's really 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 shady about this move is that they talk about how there are several loose ends to the mass effect andromeda story which I'm not going to talk about right now because it could be spoilers for some of you. Yes, I'm kind of OCD about stuff like that. And they say that, hey, guess what? These loose story ends can be will be filled in through the Mass Effect Andromeda comics. Like, I mean, I get it, man. Transmedia is a thing. You know, having media across various platforms is a thing. You know, you want people to buy into the entire universe if the universe was, well, cohesive to begin with. And now if you're trying to tell me that some story arcs from Mass Effect Andromeda will be carried on in a graphic novel or a comic book, I'm slightly, I'm majorly disappointed. So yeah, that's a thing now. And uh, what's also amusing in all of this is that it basically means um, you can't trust the game companies you're buying games from. And considering how Mass Effect has been consistently good since its first game in 2007, to see the franchise go, go down the slippery slope to hell in in 10 years or under is very, very disturbing. And fine, sure, Mass Effect, I mean, sorry, no Mass Effect, Bioware has another game coming up in Anthem and that seems to be where all the attention's going. Cool, great. And Bioware has done some damage control with, with them saying that, oh, they'd like to revisit Mass Effect in the future. Cool story, bro. But I mean, if you're dropping support right now, it's very disturbing. I mean, let's be honest, the franchise is effectively dead. When they decide to take it out from cold storage, well, who knows? Considering most of the studios working on Anthem and EA is positioning it to be the big, the next big thing. And if you consider the fact that EA have several Star Wars projects as well, uh, I do think that the sci-fi space to do cool stuff at EA is more or less like crowded as hell. Yeah. That's true. So I have just two things to say about uh, this development. One is that they should never have made a sequel or whatever spin-off for the Mass Effect series. They should have just let it finish at Mass Effect 3. You know, it's a good thing. Why do you want to, you know, keep revisiting it? So quick it? question. When you mean Mass Effect 3, are we talking Mass Effect 3 or after Mass Effect 3 Citadel DLC? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a pretty important point. Huh? So anyway, play the games and you'll find out what we're talking about. Believe in the indoctrination theory, it's true. Yeah, and the second thing is that last week we spoke about uh, No Man's Sky and how they sat down and for one year they improved the game and finally now it's become much better. So that doesn't look so bad anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. And it, what, what's really... And I think of it... I think a, a lot of it has to do with uh, the companies behind it, right? I mean, if you look at Hello Games, 
And if you look at how Hello Games have marketed their stuff and what they've done and the feedback to what they've done and how they're trying to, you know, win back trust. It's a very different ball game. I mean, to be honest, that's where I think at the end of the day, the personal touch of an indie developer, fine, Sean Murray may have pulled a Peter Molyneux then, but then if you ask me right now, uh, he's done the best he can. For those of you who don't know, Peter Molyneux is the guy who made Fable, Goddess and a bunch of games. Super hyped to Helen back, never delivered what he promised. But Sean Murray, the creator who was positioned as the creator of uh, No Man's Sky, prior to release was uh, was basically hyping the game to hell and back, promising features that never happened. But they're finally making their way to the game. So I think at the end of the day, a lot of it also pro- had to do with user backlash. Let's not let, let's not forget that. Fine, there was a lot of user backlash. But at the end of the day, Hello Games at least took that into account, right? And at least they, they, they're worried about their credibility, which I think is a great, it's a big deal. But, and you know, EA is EA. EA doesn't have to worry about it. Their PNL is not going to take a hit. Something goes wrong, okay, fine. They'll just need to, all they need to do is just announce some, uh, F, some, some FUT packs for FIFA and all is good with the world, right? So that, that, if you ask me, is the difference between a studio who's got one game which people care about and a studio that has a game that people care about and multiple games that they care about at the same time. So they can afford to get away with it. Yeah, I'm just upset that they shipped a game which was not exactly complete. I think it was, you know, uh, to meet a financial deadline, like their uh, earnings report was going to yeah. come out or something. Yes. So they shipped a game which was not complete with uh, very bad facial animations, character faces and all that. And then they promised like updates over two, three months to fix it. And finally, within six months, it's dead. I mean, so, yeah, but then again, this isn't the first time EA has done this. Yep. We've seen this with Dead Space. We've Mirror's seen Edge this with Catalyst Mi- also got, uh, didn't they say something about that? Uh, I'm not too sure about Mirror's Edge. But Dead Space, for sure. Command and Conquer, for sure. And uh, I mean, what can I say? It's a thing with, with EA. I mean, you know, the meme about all those dead bodies being other studios they bought is kind of true. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so moving on to something slightly more uh, positive. Overwatch got something new, right? Oh yeah, so uh, at Gamescom, Blizzard usually announces some interesting stuff. They announce stuff for every game of theirs, like some new Hearthstone stuff, not really important because a new expansion just hit. A new hero, Kel'Thuzad, is now in Heroes of the Storm. But for Overwatch, uh, there's a new map, map coming, Junker Town. And to coincide with this, they released a new animated short, which is for Roadhog and Junkrat. And uh, I think this is one of their best like animated shorts because uh, it has spectacular voice acting. They actually managed to tie in some of the legendary skins from the game into the lore and they had references to like Shaun of the Dead they had references to Cowboy Bebop in the animated shot it's basically really good and like everyone seems to think this is the best one they've done uh, the map is an escort map so uh, it'll probably go live in PTR soon and it'll be available for everyone in a week if it's not already live at least it wasn't live as of this recording yeah well I don't know man like okay so the way I see it Blizzard's trying to keep everyone happy considering that, uh, well, you know, Deathmatch, while it's in the game, I mean, going to be in the game soon, it wasn't exactly that well-received an announcement. I think they're, they're, they're quite hyper, uh, they're quite hypersensitive to, to, to people's reactions to their announcements. To me, it's like, oh, okay, what do, what can we do to keep the community happy? Oh, Release we know. Release a new Widowmaker memes. skin. <laughs> memes and a Widowmaker skin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm not a, not that I'm complaining. I like memes. Not a fan of the Widowmaker skin. Though. I like Widowmaker. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> but I don't know. Anyway, that's just weird if you consider Widowmaker's lore. But okay. Anyway, so it's it's nice to see them still bring stuff in Overwatch. Uh, but yeah, I mean. I mean, they have to like... Uh, 
they partnered with twitch recently and they have this uh, huge uh, streaming uh, what is it called streaming direction or something where uh, if you're watching someone stream overwatch or hearthstone on twitch you can now have granular control over what types of gameplay you want to see like for hearthstone you can like control whether you want to see streamers who are within certain rank ranges for heroes you can for overwatch you can do it by game mode and stuff like that and in hearthstone you can even have mouse over on cards to see what the card is so it'll be it's more interactive and it'll be like you're actually spectating someone through the hearthstone client this is a really big deal and uh, i, I want to see what they do with this next but uh, yeah they need to do this because overwatch is basically their money maker right now but what's amusing is that uh, that you mentioned twitch and you know their partnership with twitch remember a while ago how they were like in love with facebook video yeah that's like when microsoft was in love with single player games <laughs> oh yeah so then the point is that's the thing right and what's come of it i mean facebook's gone on its own doing what is doing on video and live streaming and uh, yeah it's just that you know you think oh, you think considering blizzard partnered them to begin with there'd be more to it but it doesn't seem to be that way so yeah should be interesting to see how this works out with twitch i mean for all you know i won't be surprised if they end up coming to youtube next considering you know blizzard's platform agnostic they can essentially do that if they choose to <laughs> youtube still hasn't taken off that much for streaming from what i've seen like all the major streamers and all the big games and all the announcements are like usually on twitch first and then youtube is like oh it's also on youtube Yeah, I do agree. That is the Even case. Even though it's easier and like YouTube is much better for watching streams, like it doesn't yeah, lag and stuff like that. Think about it, right? In most of your emerging markets, uh, India included, uh, Twitch is next to impossible to use, and that's still the case. Yeah. A lot, a lot of local content creators, a lot of esports, a lot, a lot of the scene here is more or less on YouTube, and they can't be on Twitch because accessibility is still a problem. And I mean, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that YouTube actually has a team in India, while Twitch has only one person. Uh, And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this works out. But I mean, Blizzard, Blizzard stuff aside, uh, we there was also a, a, speaking actually of Blizzard, they did release a remaster of StarCraft, which um, no, just no, like no. I mean, like after no ta- after talking to you about it and talking to a few other people who bought it, uh, I can see why it's a fifteen dollar digital only release and not like a typical Blizzard release where they go all out on the physical thing. This I don't even know why they released this. So long story short, it's essentially uh, StarCraft remastered for uh, modern day machines. And by remastered, I'm using the word very lightly. If you're thinking you'd get something similar to what uh, you to what the visuals were on StarCraft two. No, that's not the case. It's essentially it essentially looks like a cleaner version of how the game looked back in '98. Uh, there are the, all the same bugs are still there. All the same uh, content is still there. There's it nothing still uses new. some of the old animations. Yeah, like for use, uh, the CGI videos and all. Yes, so it still uses the same animation. Still uses the same CG. And to be honest, it's uh, quite disappointing. Even in terms of the effects, where like in the settings, uh, you you. I mean, you you can't do basic things like increase texture detail and stuff like that. You, there are no sliders. It has nothing that you'd expect from a modern day PC release. So yeah, I mean, between that and the Necromancer DLC for for Diablo three, which costs also fifteen dollars, I'm a little disappointed in what Blizzard's been doing of late. But yeah, that's just me. Long story short, if you're a fan of StarCraft, uh, you probably already bought it. But if you're looking to get into StarCraft, well, you know, StarCraft's free, right? and the remaster is $15. So you might want to check out the free version first, which is basically the 1998 classic and see if it makes sense to bother with the new game considering this runs on everything including toasters. So 
well moral of the story is no all right uh, moving on to other things that mike really wants to talk about final fantasy 15 it's getting <laughs> some uh, crazy ass amazing update right no oh, it's yeah. not getting any crazy ass <laughs> amazing update it has <laughs> PC, it's coming to PC with an exclusive 170 gig file size. Yeah, world's you best gaming right. console, man. So uh, when they announced the final box art for Final Fantasy 15, Rishi and I were just laughing because they seem to have gone exactly in the opposite direction for what Final Fantasy stands for. And when we played the game, that's pretty much how the game was as well, except yeah. for like a few redeeming factors. The combat, so no. good. Come on, no. the combat was good. Don't hate chapter thirteen. No. Yeah, chapter thirteen. Chapter thirteen is not redeeming by any. So it's like chapter thirteen is what they use to get information out of you know people at Guantanamo Bay. It's so, it's a torture device. So chapter thirteen so, is a torture so device. So after after like they uh, I mean they've been pushing out random updates and content patches and releasing quote unquote expanses, which I've just been laughing at, and I'm happy I didn't pay money on the season pass. Hey man. Episode prompt was pretty good. Became a third-person shooter. Okay, like Dirge of Cerberus. So now they've announced that Gamescom, uh, in partnership with Nvidia, where uh, they mentioned Nvidia more than they mentioned Final Fantasy in the press release, and it's called Final Fantasy 15 Windows Edition. It's going to be available on the Windows 10 store, Steam, and surprisingly Origin. So uh, there's no pricing yet, but this will include all the DLC and everything. Expect sixty dollars, which would mean between nineteen ninety nine and three four nine nine in India. Uh, no idea about the price on Origin or on Windows Ten. It'll probably be four thousand over there. Again, this is all assuming it's sixty dollars. I don't see this being less than fifty dollars because they've essentially released. They're releasing this as a quote unquote showcase for the Luminous engine again, and. Uh, Yeah, basically they showed off a new trailer and they said, "Oh, we have 8K textures, 4K textures. You can run this at whatever you want." Thanks to whatever Nvidia has used for marketing in the last five years, they've put all those words, hair works, like ripping hair off works. works, scamming customer works, and stuff like that. Hate. So now, uh, now, I mean, I don't know, man. As much as I'd like to join the hate Nvidia brigade, no, this is for Final Fantasy 15. Oh, Final, Fa- oh yeah, Final Fantasy yeah, brigade. Like, yeah, there is a hate brigade. Yeah, there, so yeah. it's that, uh, like. Oh, let me make it clear. I'm not bashing Nvidia. I'm bashing Final Fantasy 15. So uh-huh. yeah. So I don't know the way I see it. It's it's a very funny situation, right? Because I let's be honest. It's been an open secret that the game would be coming to PC. It's been an open secret for a while. Uh, what was uh, simply because I mean Tabata, who who is the series, who is FF15's uh, uh, game director and producer, has said that oh, you know, if we were to do a PC version, we'd do it later. If we were to do a PC version, it would be you know the best version of the game. Oh, and also like time. here's a here's a video of it running on a 1080 Ti, but it's still not coming to PC. Yeah, it's conceptual. It's not coming to PC. So like, come on, man, this is expected. So yeah, like, but the problem is, regardless of the 170 GB required size, it need it the required specs mention a 1080 Ti. Also, I think this is the first game ever which has that as a required. Uh, recommended recommend. specs, sorry, not required. I mean, I'm guessing it's recommended for 4K resolution, 60 FPS, possibly. I don't think it's hard and fast because, at the end of the day, the game runs fine on an Xbox One. Yeah, but this is not the same version, right? This is completely different. In fact, the Xbox One version had much lower image quality, lacking effects compared to the standard PS4 version. The PS4 version was basically the base version, which they added some effects and they uh, added higher resolution for the Pro. Xbox One version was a lot lower in terms of every way. So this is like a completely different build, which is probably what the Xbox One X will get in the patch, which expect the patch to be pretty huge. But uh, like, I don't think 
just improving the performance and the visuals is going to fix the game like uh if they open this to modding maybe like con- persistent modders can one fix the combat two fix the music three fix the story four fix the character models five fix the quest design and then and oh yeah six add better artwork so we maybe will have a final fantasy game oh wait mm. so what you're trying to say is you want modders to put ff8 in ff15 yes And that, even for the people who dislike FF8, that is still better than FF15. Dude, best soundtrack in the franchise after nine. So yeah, like Final Fantasy XV Windows Edition. Good, good <laughs> luck to them. They probably need to recuperate all the money invested into the Luminous engine and uh, a late port priced high on the PC platform, uh, where people are like, no, don't treat us like second-class citizens with late ports. Like, just good luck, Square Enix. But regardless of them doing all this nonsense for Final Fantasy XV. They released a freaking amazing expansion to 14, and they did FF12 remastered this year. So I'm okay with them. Yeah, okay. One so. last thing though, which is, don't you find it weird they went with Nvidia for this, considering that console versions have been running on well AMD tech. uh you'd have to do with nvidia because of market share and also because yeah. uh, you pander to that group of pc gamers like the people who only buy nvidia and stuff like that so true that's also there yeah so in short no and moving on to other things no htc vive got a price drop didn't it that's yeah. actually a yes if you're in the us so uh I like s- maybe still no 200 dollars off is not bad Considering that brings the price, I think to I think close to six hundred dollars. I think it's seven or six. Six hundred dollars now. But does this include the room scale stuff and those controls and all? Um, I think so. But the point is, so fine. It's got a price cut there. But what's more interesting, uh, and you can check this out on gadgets360.com, uh, is that India is also getting a price cut, as uh, our uh, as uh, as our writer Akhil has found out. The India is getting a price cut as well. Now that also would fall under Pranay's no category for the day because let's be honest, uh, a price cut on a device that close that costs close to one lakh isn't much of a price cut at the end of the day. So I I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make. Uh, I do know for a fact that. and this has been confirmed by several sources that the reason for the high pricing in india had to do with bis and htc's own margin mm. so obviously since you can't cut down on bis and you can't cut down on the imports and taxes it's obvious that that htc's margin is going to take a hit if they do a discount for india and since they are planning to do that well uh, it's just a question of when it happens because let's be honest at 93000 rupees it's a tough sell considering the psvr is going for uh, 40 45000 and there is an install base on the PS4. Mm-hmm. I mean we have I think close to we're probably going to hit 200000 PS4s by the time the year is up. So it's not like there's a question of an audience. Granted there's a bigger audience on PC but it's also a more diverse audience mm. who won't be interested in spending as much on Vive as you can spend on a really nice high-end PC. So that. Yeah, so Mike uh, you also wanted to give us some kind of an India retail update. Oh yeah, so uh more news from Warner Brothers and maybe ubisoft and capcom uh dragon's dogma dark horizon is releasing here in october at retail on xbox and ps4 it's a 30 dollar purchase abroad and digitally but it's going to be at the low price of 1799 over here which is uh, really good i mean uh, we've seen the low price for dishonored death of the outsider also which is 40 dollars outside but it's 1799 here Uh, other than that capcom's uh, marvel versus capcom infinite we're getting the deluxe or steelbook edition which has season pass 2017 or season pass 1 which rishi loves buying uh, but this will be 6999 
Yeah, so again, uh, what this all, uh, one important thing to keep in mind with Marvel versus Capcom Infinite is uh, the fact that if you're a fan of the X-Men or Wolverine, they will not, I mean, X-Men, Wolverine, or even uh, Deadpool, they're not going to be in the game. Simply they because added that, who's that random dude? I can't even remember his name. Capcom went on record to say that uh, we won't, there won't be X-Men or Wolverine or Deadpool because these aren't recognizable characters. At least they said that for the X-Men, but they go and add some random obscure Fatal Fury character. I think I don't even know his name. Yeah, so the thing is, <laughs> and the reason for this is because the rights are with Fox and uh, so it, and Fox and Disney don't see eye to eye to the point where Disney has issued a notice to Marvel's artists saying that if you're at a comic convention and fans want you to draw art, don't draw any IP that uh, Fox has the rights to. So yeah, that it's that's the level of pettiness we're looking at. Uh, and in terms of DLC, yes, it much like Street Fighter Five, expect yearly uh, season passes. <laughs> Frankly, not a fan of that, but character yeah, updates, whatever. <laughs> um, that's the thing. And yeah, so then, so yeah, so Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite's a thing, and then even Shadow of War, that also. Um, Shadow of War is all three editions are making their way here. Uh, the standard edition, which will be three four nine nine or three triple nine, can't remember. Three four nine nine. Three four nine nine. 4499 for the deluxe or silver edition. Yeah. And uh, 5999, I believe, for yeah. the uh, Steelbook Gold edition, which has uh, the season pass. And while and while Mike's nicely break, bro- broken down what you can expect, uh, I'll just chime in with a massive disclaimer for Shadow of War in particular. Uh, this is some. Now, I know that there are a lot of Lord of the Rings fans, a lot of Tolkien oh, fans. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> uh, so, a couple of things. One, first of all, uh, the. Well, there are going to be a ton of microtransactions here. Now, granted, we're not uh, we're not one to hate on microtransactions that much, considering one of our favorite games, Overwatch, has them. But let's let's make one thing very clear: Overwatch is a multiplayer game, and all the microtransactions are in the form of cosmetic items. All right, and you don't have to pay for them; you can even get them while playing the game. But in the case of Shadow of War, uh, the microtransactions are essentially pay-to-win in a single-player campaign. What this basically means is if you don't want to grind through certain elements of the game, such as, you know, building your fort- fortresses or, you know, uh, requisitioning resources and stuff like that, you can use microtransactions to make your life easier. It's even getting a loot box system at the same time, which adds an element of uh, randomness to the, to, the, to the entire affair. Now, what this essentially means is, all right, you're paying uh, $60 globally and India 3499 at the lowest price. For a game which has a single-player campaign that's advertised as a long single-player affair, all right, and at the same time they're offering you microtransactions that let you speed through the process of playing it, which basically means what Warner Brothers is trying to say. It can be interpreted as, hey, pay sixty dollars for our game or three four nine nine, and hey, if you don't like what you're playing, we can speed it up for you, which basically means that you know the single-player campaign isn't going to be that hot. It basically means that your product isn't that good because if it was really good, you wouldn't want me to spend money to speed through it. Yeah, like uh, look at Uncharted 4. It has a ton of microtransactions in multiplayer. It has nothing which affects single player. Maybe usually they do a pre-order bonus which will give you some weapons, but like usually you don't do this stuff in single player game. Keep all that for the multiplayer aspect of it. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing, right? To me, it just seems like a way to justify poor game design choices and poor choices in terms of systems and adding stuff that, frankly, people don't care about. 
and that's just one disclaimer for the game mm. there are several others like for example those of you who are fans of the lord of the rings trilogy are aware of a certain character known as shellob who made being a spider cool before spider man and now shellob looks like your typical hot femme fatale that most games seem to employ which isn't anywhere close to the lord of the rings canon and to me slightly disturbing i mean and it, they went on record to say that uh, Shelob is the unsung hero of Middle Earth or some nonsense. So. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, what are you guys doing? It's just little. It's quite sad to see, simply because this is a game I'm looking forward to, simply because of the core core combat and the Nemesis system, which was amazing in in Sha- in Shadow of Mordor. But considering they're turning Shadow of War into Shadow of More box, I don't know what's going to happen here. Oh, and also, uh, the Gold Edition is not five triple nine; it's actually six triple nine. and it includes a gold war chest two nemesis expansions and two story expansions so yeah i mean to be to me it just seems that it's it's this is the other end of the spectrum right on one side of it you have no man's sky which released that what it was and it's been getting consistent updates and getting better with each updates each update and then on the other end you have this which is not even out yet and they want your 3499 and they want more from you it's borderline extortionist so that's something you have to keep in mind this is one game uh i wholeheartedly cannot recommend that anyone pre-orders at this stage all right and speaking of games that uh you should buy uh there's something called uncharted the lost legacy and i also heard something about a game called yakuza kiwami mix 2 oh, kiwami yeah. means extreme yes <laughs> okay so let's go with uncharted the lost legacy yeah. first uh well 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 how do i how do we begin here for one uh this is to me one of the coolest representations of indian culture and india in a video game let me just put that out there straight up there is absolutely no reason for anyone not to play this um for those of you who don't know the uncharted franchise has sony's equivalent of uh, lara croft and indiana jones trapes through ancient ruins in search of treasure uh they've had four games starring Nathan Drake and they were pretty cool for most part uh, personally not a big fan of uncharted 4 because of certain pacing issues but that's just me i'm in the minority on that one uh lost legacy however is in the mold of the first game where everything takes place in a single area in this in this time it happens to be the western ghats and you're you're tracking down remin- the remnants of the hoysala empire in search for the tusk of ganesh and what's really cool in this game is the fact that uh they show that they actually show off Indian lore and mythology in a really cool way with some really cool puzzles and they even talk about how Ganesh lost his task how he's a son of Shiva how Parshuram was actually one of uh, actually got his uh, got some of his uh, got his spear from Shiva and uh, trident rather from Shiva and they talk a lot about the lore and how it works out really well uh, so to me that was like one of the cool things where it it actually dropped a lot of cool info on mythology in india and how that actually plays out it's very tastefully represented uh, represented and a, part, a lot of it also has to do with uh, the lead character clo fraser clo fraser is half indian her uh, and fraser in fact is her mother's surname so what's what's really interesting is that she she was a character that was introduced in uncharted 2 and ended up becoming a fan favorite um even like so so in one of the sections of the game and uh, she she ends up scaling this massive uh a uh, statue of ganesh and even before she scales it she even says my apologies so th- they're very in tune with local sensitivities and i think that's really cool uh so yeah the puzzles are really good the combat's epic 
and the gameplay is well what it should be it's it's a lot of there are some hints of what Naughty Dog could or what we could see from Naughty Dog and Last of Us 2 with an entire section being an open world where you can you know uh, go go through various objectives uh, any way you please and there's a very seamless way of that uh segueing into the story which is also really nice so yeah it's it's really really good um it helps that the fact that we have new faces this time around uh, uh Nathan Drake is in there neither is Sully neither is Elena instead we have uh Chloe Fraser and Nadine Ross. There are one or two cool cameos. I don't want to spoil, and yeah, it's a really good, cool game. And also, this actually started out as a DLC for Uncharted Four, and they realized the they could do much more with that. So, people who bought Uncharted Four Deluxe with the season pass or with the expansion included, they get this for free. But this is a separate purchase for everyone else, and it's two four nine nine in India, completely standalone, and it's almost as long as. Uh, An average Uncharted game, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can. And clock. it has multi, and it has the full multiplayer from Uncharted Four. Yep. So, I mean, if you're playing in normal, you should be done in around eight hours, easy around six and a half, seven hours, and uh, it also includes. Uh, it's also going to get the uh, something new in terms of multiplayer, which is a survival mode, which is I think I think is similar to Horde mode. I could be wrong there, but yeah, it seems to be pretty robust for the price, two four nine nine, um, on and has everything you like in in terms of Uncharted multiplayer, and has got a pretty good campaign. Uh. and oh yeah mad props to the photo mode in this game you're going to be taking a lot of pictures uh the art direction is super strong so like you know everything to do from 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 giant giant carvings of rock to uh to miniature details on on puzzles there's a lot to take photos of so yeah check that out yeah okay um yakuza kiwami means extreme uh yakuza kiwami is a remake not a remaster and a proper remake of uh, the original yakuza uh known as ryuga gotoku in japan which means like a dragon that ps2 game has been completely remade using the yakuza 0 engine so it runs at 1080p 60 fps on ps4 and ps4 pro uh it has new content extra scenes redone voice acting new mini games changed combat style Changed camera movement, changed uh, a lot of things. Basically, I think the only thing which remained the same is the structure and the story from the original Yakuza game, and uh, it's pretty damn good. Anyway, so yeah, uh, as Mike said, yeah, it's it's not a remaster; it's a remake. And yeah, we've played through the entire campaign. Uh, let's put it this way: if if you're new to the franchise and you like Yakuza Zero, this is a lot darker. There is a high body count. A lot of people die, and actually, it's quite cool. Uh, if you're a fan of film noir, if you're a fan of uh, you know uh, violent gangster movies, you'd love this. It's a lot of fun to play. We've played through the entire campaign. Took me around 20 hours, uh, but you can get a lot more out of it because there's a lot of side activities. There's uh, a lot of other things to do in the game, such as you know pocket racing or uh, you know fighting in an underground uh, f- uh, coliseum of sorts. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. In terms of story, it's pretty good. It, I mean, one or two cheesy, almost Bollywood sequences towards the end, with uh, you know extended hamming off, ha- hamming from certain characters. But yeah, it's worth checking out. Uh, and also, uh, while India doesn't have a, 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 while there isn't any exact date on when India is going to get it on disc, it's going to be available digitally for two seven five zero. Disc versions should show up. via amazon yet to be confirmed as an exclusive for uh, price again yet to be known so that's something but it cost 30 dollars abroad 
Uh, there's a Steelbook edition also. So if you want to probably import it from Amazon US or another Amazon, it might come to less than 2750, all things included for a Steelbook edition. You will miss out on the theme, but uh, it's not that great. So yeah. Steelbook looks pretty good though. Uh, game itself, uh, it feels... Uh, if you haven't played Yakuza 1 before and you've played Yakuza 0 like most people did because uh, we had a really good uh, 2499 price point for it when it was 4000 abroad, this will feel like an expansion to that because it's a little less in every way than Yakuza 0. Like Yakuza 0 had a few flaws but otherwise pretty much perfect. Uh, this game is shorter, this game has less mini games. but it's still good and if you wanted more after playing Yakuza 0 and you wanted continuity, this is where it is. It's absolutely worth playing. And uh, it's something worth picking up now before September starts where everyone's going to jump into either Destiny 2 or the like. Yeah, it's uh, that, that's one thing, right? I mean, if, you, if the reason it might... I mean, yeah, if you, if you started the Yakuza franchise with Zero, this is going to seem like an expansion, like Mike said. A lot of it also has to do with the fact that you're, you're adding the story of Zero, which was super expansive and epic, to a game that already released, well, you know, almost... 10, 12 years back. So that that does seem that does seem would seem a little odd for those of you who come off zero. But yeah, it's still worth checking. Out. So is it like better a better idea to play this one first and then zero or I'd vice versa? I say given our price points in India and given how uh, it's it's come back in stock in a lot of places, uh, Yakuza Zero is just worth playing in general for anyone who has a PS4 without question. Uh, I would say get that before you get this. May maybe wait for clarity on local releases and stuff like that for this because, uh, yeah, Yakuza Zero absolutely an essential playthrough this yeah, year. I, it's I, one of the best games this year already, and uh, I know there's a lot still coming. I do not see most of the things stopping the story-wise at least. I mean, yeah, I would have to agree there. It's essentially, I mean, if you have a PS4 and you're not playing Yakuza Zero, what are you doing with your life? I mean, yeah, you need to play. I mean, one, yeah, I would, uh, I mean, personally, I, I I, don't think this is as essential. Play Zero first. And then, yeah, if you like Zero, play play Kiwami. That's how I look at it. Hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. All right, then. Finally, we'll move to the weird games that Mike has been playing this week. So, let us know. What have I been playing this week? Uh, been playing and getting a lot more annoyed at Splatoon 2 because the netcode is actual garbage, I think. And plus the Switch is terrible Wi-Fi chip has made things worse where uh, like playing one hour of Splatoon 2 would have had three disconnects and there's a pop-up which shows up saying oh it looks like you've been disconnecting maybe check your internet because it's getting pretty suspicious why you're disconnecting and when I switched to Overwatch or Final Fantasy 14 the MMO like no problems for one hour continuously and Overwatch is an actual serious game in ranked mode Splatoon isn't so yeah uh Played a little less of that. In fact, not really touched my Switch much in the last week. But uh, put in a lot of time into Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, close to 43 hours now. Trying to max out all the abilities and uh, get a few trophies. Like there's this interesting new system called Majima Everywhere in Yakuza Kiwami. Where uh, one of the protagonists of Yakuza 0, Goro Majima. Uh, after you, after a certain plot point in Kiwami. He wants you to get, get he wants to get you back in shape because uh, you're losing your touch, as he says. So at random moments, he'll just pop out of a garbage can or pop out of a car, or he'll be like, you know, the the VLC cone type thing, one of the street cones. He'll just randomly appear out of that, or he'll just randomly check you when you're walking on the street to see if you have weapons and just beat you up. So uh, these or, random encounters, or he'll show up as a zombie and create an entire B movie zombie yeah. production to get you to fight him. Or if you decide to go to a cabaret club and have a drink with a certain woman, uh, 
Goro Majima might be wearing a dress sitting next to you. Or if you... Uh, there's also this quote-unquote pole dance place. Uh, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Hilarious. so there are a lot of uh, random places where he will pop out and you have... It's essentially like a boss fight. Uh, defeating him will give you one ability for the dragon fighting style and it'll give you a ton of XP which you can use to uh, upgrade other abilities. I really like the system. So I've been putting a lot of time into getting every ability over there. And uh, yeah, I made more progress in Dragon Quest VIII, put in like 10 more hours. I think I'm about 40% done with the game now. Uh, other than that, what else have I been playing? I've been playing this cyberpunk adventure, which is out on iOS and on Steam called Techno Babylon. Uh, it's one of the better cyberpunk adventures in the last decade, I'd say. It has fantastic voice acting. The only problem is uh, the engine which they've used is a little ancient, so it still looks like a 90s adventure game. Wait, when you're saying cyberpunk adventure, you're referring to adventure as in the adventure game genre right yeah yeah it's a point and click game okay, with because, puzzles and all because i'd be because if it wasn't the case i'd be saying have you played the original deus x anyway but yeah do continue i mean we're not talking about dead franchises now are we oh well played so well so played, yeah this so. is uh halfway done with this also really good puzzles really good voice acting very likable characters and all if you have if you have an ios device or of course, you probably have Steam in some form. It runs on anything. Look into getting it. Uh, it's from Wadjet Eye Games. Uh, they publish Roo. and they release really good stuff like Gemini Roo. And uh, I think they have the five series Blackwell games also. So, mm. yeah, I've been playing that stuff basically. What about you? Yeah, well, one thing we should like let people know is that this Techno Babylon is like 1.43 GB on uh, my iPhone. Okay. Probably a little more on the iPad. Don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's something that you need to keep in mind if you're going to be you know getting this one. I yeah, expect someone who's going to be spending like 5 to $10 on the App Store would have a device which can run a 1GB game. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not a big deal like Final Fantasy 9 on iOS, which is more than 4GB and you need 6GB total <laughs> to install it. But uh, 1GB is pretty standard for an adventure point and click game. I mean, even the, uh, the Tim Schafer remasters like Full Throttle and all are close to 1 or if not more than 1GB. So... But yeah, fair point. Uh, it it is absolutely worth playing though. Yeah. Do yeah. I will agree that while the initial download will be a prob- might be a pro- challenge for a lot of people, it's also important to note that unlike other iOS games like well Asphalt 8 and Real Racing, you're not going to be subject to colossal one gig updates on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. Hmm. You know, so that's and, something. Oh yeah, one more thing is there are no microtransactions or anything. It's just pay once and you play just like how it was in the 90s in the good old days. So yeah, uh, it's it runs exactly the same on iOS and it does on Steam. I tried it on both, so pick it up wherever you enjoy these games more. Yeah, all right. So I have been playing a few more games on iOS. Uh, finished Banner Saga, which I spoke about at length last week. Congratulations. Uh, every bit as good as I said it was last week. The story is totally worth it. And uh, in the end, you have to make like a super hard choice, which is not uh, apparent to you. Uh, well, I mean, without mentioning too many spoilers uh there's one choice where like in the ending someone has to die so you're just basically picking who is going to die and that is not very apparent when you are making that choice so is it like the Vermeer mission of mass effect one yeah a bit like that yeah very much so except that in that one it's explicitly mentioned to you that okay it's either uh, um, ashley or kaden right so in this one, it's not like that. It's like, um, okay, I, I, I won't like men go into too many details. But yeah, in, in this one, the choice is much more innocuous. So you're thinking oh. that you're actually, you know, going to be winning something here. But it turns out that in the end, the character will not survive. Wow. So 
anyway super ending as well uh, only thing that annoyed me a little in that was that all the cut scenes are not exactly hd uh, so they look like 480p uh, i think they are, i think the cut scenes are uh, not 1080p i think they are 720 i'm not sure maybe 480 I, I don't know on the ipad pros amazing display it looks really bad oh so. yeah so that's the thing uh, as far as i know the the cut scenes at least originally when it launched were 1024 by 768 which is uh-huh. the non-retina ipad resolution but the game runs at retina resolution i don't remember if they've updated you're saying it looked 480p plus the ipad pro 10.5 is higher res than even the ipad air 2 which i have so it would look even worse over there but uh, this is a problem in a lot of games like even in the uh, in a lot of console games which are old you see the cutscenes are still the original because they don't have higher resolution versions and they are cheap slash lazy to remake them so hmm. yeah this is a thing yeah same thing with banner saga 2 as well like all the annoyances oh, did you get it already banner yeah yeah saga i got 2. it and i started playing it as well and uh, a lot of annoyances are still there like i mentioned that you know you have to hit that one down arrow at the bottom of the screen to progress dialogue uh, that problem is still there then to make choices also like everything is really tiny it almost looks like this is designed for a mouse pointer and suddenly you know it's you ported the same thing to a touch device uh, similarly, like at the main screen where you choose like whether you want to watch a recap of what happened in Banner Saga 1 or resume your current game, the choices are all really tiny like in text. So it's not a touch-friendly interface. Does it have controller support by the way? Uh, don't think so. Like okay. as far as I remember, no. But I'm not like entirely okay, certain on that. I'll check it later yeah. and we'll update everyone next week. Yeah, so I also noticed that Banner Saga 3 is on the way. I'm really excited about that. I really love the story even in Banner Saga 2. Um, but yeah, let's let's see how this one pans out. Like I'm, I'm about maybe like 5% into the uh, second game now. Uh, one was totally worth it, I'd say. So I've so far restarted Banner Saga 2 like only thrice because I made bad decisions already early in the game. Uh, and people died and I wanted to save them. But then it turns out that eventually, no matter how much you try to save people, they will all die. So in the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Game of Thrones, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> other than that, I've been uh, playing a couple of other games. One game which I forgot to talk about last week was Severed. Uh, it released on the Nintendo Switch. And uh, quite frankly, my advice to everyone is buy it on iOS. A much better experience overall. Because the Switch is like a really wide console so you'll be like uh, to move the character you'd actually be using the analog stick or the d-pad and uh, like the touchscreen to swipe and then kill right yeah so for for those of you who don't know on ios devices the game is uh, obviously touchscreen and even on the uh, 3ds you, you use the stylus but on the switch they decided to go with a hybrid control scheme where you have to move using if i'm not mistaken you have to move using your uh, control uh, the buttons yeah and to attack you use the touchscreen yeah. so like your your grip in the end would be holding your switch with your left hand using your thumb for movement and using your right fingers for swiping for combat. Yeah. On on iOS, everything's touch. On on the Vita, where it originally launched as a timed exclusive, it's actually a lot easier because the Vita is much lighter and the screen is much smaller, so it's yeah. a little more immersive. And also on the Switch, it does not run in uh, TV mode. You have to play it handheld. Handheld, so, yes. Uh, it's not played at home or take it on the go like the commercial. It's one of the. It's one. It's another. Uh, handheld only game like Warriors, which yep. is the rhythm game, which was also on iOS first. Uh, yeah, so basically, but yeah. it's still a good game though. Like play it somewhere, basically. Yeah, game is good. Like there's no problems with the game as such. But yeah, better played on iOS than on the Nintendo Switch is what I had to say about that. And finally, I also played this Pokemon clone called Nexomon earlier this week. 
so i mean i wrote the review for this i was pretty pleased with the game overall but it was very very hard to write nexomon instead of pokemon i mm. think i used the word pokemon at least 20 times before realizing oh no it was nexomon and what am i doing um, but yeah overall um, like if we've been telling everyone like since the very beginning that pokemon go is not really a pokemon game uh, like there are several good pokemon games on the nintendo 3ds i believe yeah yeah so that's uh, like this game nexomon is as close as it gets to a real pokemon game uh, you basically just wander around the land it's uh, mostly like a sort of a top down view uh, where you just uh, like uh, going from one area to the other and catching new nexomon and then you know battling other nexomon in the wild or you're battling other trainers and there are gyms and lots of humorous touches in the game where like you encounter characters who are maybe you know like uh, people will be just remarking on how like a town was beautiful earlier but now it reeks of sweat because the overseer of the town is like this guy who's a bodybuilder and all he does and all his uh, cronies do is sit and work out and leave the gym equipment everywhere so you basically got to like win that battle and liberate the town from that guy and then move on to finally the final boss who's like a lord of uh, who's called nexo lord and he basically wants to unleash some evil upon the world so yeah story is pretty much like uh, quite similar to what you'd get in a real good pokemon game and in a lot of ways this game is uh, totally worth playing only thing is that you should remember this game costs some 400 rupees on uh, ios and uh, it's an ios exclusive i don't think it's on android or any other platform yet um, but yeah it also has a lot of in app purchases so even after you pay for the game you would still ideally want to get at least one in app purchase uh which allows you to share xp in your party which means that you know one pokemon gains experience points uh you all other pokemon in your party uh like six of them will gain experience points at the which same time which is like time. how the newer pokemon games are on 3DS with the some people usually disable this toggle because they feel and the pokemon games are pretty easy but yeah it's smart of them to do that because like it's a low price and looks really good like even yeah. though some of the nexomon names are a little weird yeah they are uh, horrible pandy cub for like a pokemon <laughs> that looks like it's really fast i mean come on you mean a nexomon yeah sorry <laughs> hey what do you what do you call a nexomon that's based on indian telcos um something to do with geo geo dude oh geo dude no it's a geo dude yeah well more such bad jokes only on this podcast it's an exclusive You're welcome. Yeah, Rishi, what have you been playing? Oh, too many games, too little time. So yeah, StarCraft Remastered, still playing through it because as much as I hate how it looks, it's still a good campaign. So yeah, I've been playing that. A uh, lot of Overwatch because of the summer event. So that's also been a lot of fun. Uh, aside from those two, it's been well, Uncharted Lost Legacy, which has been yeah, like I said, really, really good. You can check out our full review on gadgets360.com. Yakuza Kiwami, also really good. You can also check out our review at the same site, gadgets360.com. and uh, in a, aside from those uh, games uh, well yeah it's basically been that like those four games at this point in time it's been a heavy week and uh, probably probably going to check out uh, this game called Masquerada which is from an indie singapore studio it's basically a strategy rpg it seems so it's a it's an rpg and it's obviously that's my jam so looking to check that out but yeah um that's what i've been playing quite a lot of games All right then so that's all for this segment of transition and we'll be back to talk about something called death note in the next segment so if you've heard of that stay tuned Welcome back to the second part of the podcast where we are going to be talking about death note now death note is available on Netflix globally it's a Netflix original live action movie 
which is based on the anime called death note which is based on the manga called death note once again so to talk about this thing we have our pop culture nerd that's akhil arora hey everyone and we have his deputy that's roiden serejo hello and i'm your host pranay parab so, uh, so i think we should lay the groundwork for what death note is first so this is the basically the story of one guy who finds a notebook in which he can uh, just write or describe any person's death and that person dies in real life yeah. right so um this started off as a manga ages ago and then i think there's a single season and i think some 37 episodes yep. of uh the anime for yeah. death note so yeah i mean you guys want to start why like uh, by talking about uh, this movie and whether it's related to the manga or the anime or um like what plots plot points are there is it the same thing over and over or uh, is there something new story explored here uh yeah so i think the movie basically covers the maybe the first half of the anime uh but it doesn't really explore the entire thing because it would be impossible because the anime is quite dense there are like very complex uh, plot lines and uh, events happening which is not possible to cover in just 2 hours mm. so even 2 hours it's like i think the movie is like 1 less than less than 2 hours yeah yeah so nearly 2 hours i would say so in a way it's it's an it's an okay watch but i would say if you've not seen death note then you would be lost for most part like because they it, it doesn't really go into any detail explaining uh any particular aspects of the whole lore of the shinigamis and who exactly are these uh, death gods and you know why this person has this book which can control people's death so it doesn't really go into that much of an explanation so it's it's kind of like if you've seen the anime then you can sort of relate to the movie but on the whole i think it's a pretty average movie yeah so actually i have i mean i'll confess i haven't seen the movie yet yeah. uh, the netflix one yeah. but i've seen maybe like four or five episodes of the anime and read most of the manga yeah. so the whole point of that the whole reason i got into it in the first place was all these death gods and how they're in this other rem and then one of them throws this notebook where yeah. he can describe death yeah. and this guy the lead character l right yeah. he he or light he got light light ha huh, sorry uh, so light he's the one who finds it and like he starts killing people off in like describing their deaths in great detail just to experiment and find out how they are dying like whether it's actually true or not yeah and, and i mean if that aspect is not there the shinigami are not there then i think the movie loses quite a bit right so what the movie the does is it keeps the main shinigami which is ryuk yeah which is essential to uh, telling light what this book is about so like mm. you need them without that there's no exposition there is no explanation and people will understand yeah but it discards his entire back story yep so which is i felt well because i like you i only seen five six episodes of the anime mm. but i i really enjoy those parts because that tells you who ryuk is and what is his mission or what is his aim or what is his purpose in yeah. doing these which is he, he says he's doing it out of boredom yeah. which is of, almost like a creepy or weird way like you're just like you know mess with a, another world but he, he this is why he's doing it so and that tells you where he's coming from but yeah. here because that entire backstory is missing which is why the movie keeps ryuk for the first half i think and then we don't see ryuk much for the second half right yeah, we because don't. the second half is like imagine like a basically a american high high school teen romance but basically with a thriller and a horror side to it that's what it becomes it's 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 more around their teenage romance which is light and mia here and uh, are the names different in anime i'm not sh- i don't remember the i think they mia only okay, light yeah. and so mia yeah so they keep the names yeah it's around their romance instead of the revelations or the complications of killing people even if they are murderers themselves yeah but the character was so much more nuanced in the manga um, as in like you get to know that light is actually the 
I mean, spoilers galore. Sorry, uh, but you get to know that he is the son of the chief uh, police officer, right? The yeah. police commissioner, I think. Oh yeah, and that's true in the movie as well. So that's not a spoiler. No, yeah. So um, like, you get to know that. You get to know his family. You get to know his sister. You get to know how he's so good in studies and all. And there's like a parallel between Ryuk, the Shinigami, and Light as well, where like both of them are like way too intelligent and way too powerful, and they're just bored out of their minds. So Light can basically top exams without really studying much. Yeah. So eventually. So they show yeah. that bit in the movie where he's. Really Really smart, and yeah, he does. Like he, he does these tests for, like, in the opening sequence yeah. where he's doing these tests for other students, which kinds of uh, tell hints at the part that he's like really intelligent, and you know, yeah. he does these. Sort of thing. Mm. So yeah, I mean, um, by and large, like uh, in the manga, at least what happens is that they lay the groundwork for this very well. Right? Exactly, you know, they yeah. show that okay, this Ryuk has been captured there, whatever he's been bored there for thousands of years, and he has nothing to do. and they show like uh, light as like a parallel to him and they like show their equation very well as in why they are attracted to each other so ryuk finds uh, light very interesting right so he keeps coming to like yeah. his bedroom and saying things like humans are interesting <laughs> yeah humans are interesting you are doing like uh, very interesting things with the notebook yeah. which i would have never dreamed of yeah. and um, light himself like he also does these weird things right like he starts off on a whole uh, moral tangent where he kills off like these convicts or known criminals yeah. and all that and then eventually like his character disintegrates slowly and that journey like uh, to madness like ryuk is obviously having fun because he can see that light is totally like ruining his, yeah. his own self but uh, like that journey to madness for for light and how he um, comes into like he clashes with this l character right correct and uh, they battle with the police avoiding uh, law authorities and all that that is really well done in the manga even though it's not like it doesn't follow any traditional storytelling structure yeah uh, but i don't know how, like how well they could do that in a one and a half hour long movie yeah i think that is the problem right i mean the i think the only issue over here is time i mean in the manga and the anime you have that many episodes to sort of tell so you can dive deep into uh individual story and flesh out the characters properly here there is they, they just don't they have just, the liberty yeah. of time so they have to which sort of cram they, it which is why they treated yeah. it as a very second half fashion like what you spoke about you know his descent into madness which is so important because that shows an idealistic you know sort of young teenager who gets this power and does some good with it in the beginning right mm. so from one you point you might say okay yeah he's he's doing good but until one l comes in the movie and once he's introduced properly and their conflict begins the movie does set set up so badly that i actually started rooting against light hmm. which is no what you want from your protagonist right you yeah. want to be sort of like it's the main thing in the anime is that you sort of rooting for both sides you sort of yeah. like wanting to see how this conflict plays out because both have sort of uh good decisions on their sides they they have a good intentions hmm. but they sort of coming in conflict because they it's it's part of what they're doing Mm. And here the movie like does that so badly. I was like, okay, L's the clearly good good guy. I'm not sure why Light is still roaming around with the book. He should clearly be captured. Yeah. And that's that's a failure on the part of the movie because. And the, another thing it does on top of that is because by introducing, I'm not sure how Mia is, how what how big her involvement is in the anime, but her involvement is so big in this one eventually because it's it's her actions, right? I mean, this is gonna be a sort of a spoiler, but it's her big actions without mentioning it what it is. which sort of crossed the line as to say right hmm. in the movie and no that's the same for the in the anime oh, as well same in the anime yeah, she's she the one who crosses big the role, big line but it's it's a lot more things happen with her which is not explored in the movie at all okay because in the anime it's the first step when he crosses the line is taken by light because he is the one who kills the guy on the television right yeah. who he thinks is l but doesn't turn out to be l yeah but here it l light doesn't actually do a criminal activity per se 
until it's Mia who does the big one. Yeah. With the police officers. Yeah. So that sort of shifted the onus for me. I was like, is this Light's story or is this Mia's story now? Yeah. I mean, actually, even in the anime, again, it's it's slightly different over there from what I remember. Again, I've seen it a while back. But she has her own death note uh, somewhere in the middle of yeah. the anime. Oh, okay. Uh, and so she again goes on and they ex- explore her character. She becomes darker. Like her character is right. a lot more darker than actually Light. And Light is still trying to balance like doing the right thing. Mm. Uh, and still try- And he still has that sense of, you know, to attain that power where he's sort of invincible. But Mia goes down like a darker path. And uh, yeah, a lot of more things happen in the anime. Ah, so they simplified that in the movie by keeping them fighting over one book. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, like in the um, in the manga and the anime, yeah. like there's this option for these characters to basically halve their uh, lifespan yeah. in exchange for Shinigami's eyes. That doesn't exist in the movie. Yeah, that doesn't ex- exist at That's, all. Doesn't I mean, exist because Shinigami does like the whole backstory doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. the whole thing is that I mean, uh, you know, Mia or Misa. Uh, Misa, she's in the yeah, yeah. in the anime. Uh, she does it like twice. <laughs> so oh. like the choices that she makes are really tough like because she wants to see like right. through the Shinigami's eyes and gain those paths uh, she makes that bargain twice it's a serious decision that has a lot of impact on the way the story but builds even the first time it comes because I've seen like I think the fifth or sixth episode I think the fourth one whatever is mm. when uh, the Shinigami Ryuk offers him the first time like mm. he offers mm. him the choice to not do yeah. that and when he con- starts considering that, you feel the m- impact of that moment. Exactly. Yeah. This is a heavy decision to make. Because yeah. after that, if he does take that moment, he is basically invincible. Then, yep. yeah. then even like a person can can't light a light can't hide from him as long as the day he appears in front of him. Hmm. Yeah. But so I, think, I think you should just explain for those who don't know the right. Shin- Shinigami's eyes basically lets you see how long a human has left to live. Yeah, it's like an AR type visual basically yeah. which puts the name and how much life they have left how much lifespan over how their many, head how many yeah. days they have left to live it's like special google glass yeah. yeah so like taking that would I mean the reason it's even like uh, mentioned in that initial stage of the uh, anime and manga is uh, that this L character is not known to light and he's the one who's chasing light mm. right yeah. so he can't just write in the notebook saying kill L because his real name is not L yeah. So what he wants to find out is who this L person is. And what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So like when they have, when they finally have that face-to-face moment, he uh, wants to have that option where he can see and, yeah. you know, find out what he is doing. Yeah. All right. So um, like moving on to the movie itself. Uh, I mean, there is, a, uh, there are a lot of things that we haven't really touched upon. Like, uh, I mean, we spent too much time talking about the manga and the anime. Um, but yeah, for example, like, um, you, I believe Akhil, you mentioned that, lights uh, megalomania is mentioned heavily in the movie right so the, no actually the megalomania is mentioned heavily in the anime, anime the, movie not in the, movie, huh? the movie doesn't have time to yeah. explore these things the mm. movies is uh, keeps us aspects of um, him being a son of a police officer um, keeping the that he has a girlfriend who takes a darker path than him yeah which, which it has some time for and then from there it all it, it does change the capability capabilities of death note as well so it keeps the things of that you can mention the cause of death and all that but it gives them a bigger spin, right? Because in the anime, it says you have 40 seconds to mention cause of death and six minutes, 40 seconds. I'm not sure why the reviewer number to uh, mention the details of death. But the movie actually says that he has two, he can control the next two days of a person's life. So that means he can like write far-fetched, not far-fetched, I guess, but like he can write much more elaborate schemes or what people are going to do over the next two days before they eventually die, which basically allows for like more like Sherlock-like 
type concept happening in the end because it's like the, the basically the movie keeps information away from us in the end for the, for its final twist and then shows us what he, mechanics he had pulled over for the next two days to sort of save himself and the world yeah. hmm yeah but i think i think the movie ends also quite abruptly i mean i didn't really like what was that ending all about where he's <laughs> I'm I'm not sure like they nearly knew what thread to follow because like because they're managing so much right they're managing one one side light story they yeah. also want to explore Mia's story the darker path yeah which I haven't seen the anime that far to know that that was a big thread and they also want they had Ryuke which they discarded even though it was they got William Defoe for it uh, for such a role and then they have Elle's story as well which because that's the whole part right yeah uh, they want to explore what his background is which is why Watari which they keep the name of the same. And yeah. they also keep him Japanese. That's the only character who's Japanese. Yeah. Everyone else has been Americanized. Yeah. Um, and which is what they changed. Like, Watari's face is not known in the anime. But because this, the movie didn't yeah. have time to explore that, Watari's face is known. And that's his real name. So it, it, give, it gives L, uh, not L, sorry, it gives Light a very easy shortcut to finding out who L is. Because he knows Watari and he knows his face. So he can use Watari to find that out. And uh, so they have to explore that as well, you know, yeah. who Utari is. And they also explore, explore, they add another thing. So when the movie opens, this is not a spoiler because his mom is already dead, yeah. which is not in the case in the anime. Well, he doesn't have a sister in the movie though. Yeah, he doesn't have a sister and his mom is dead. So yeah. basically, female characters, goodbye. Nobody yeah. cares about yeah. you. Uh, but the anime keeps all that. He's, it's a wholesome family. Exactly. And he, he really cares for his family in the anime. Like yep. He helps his sister with his homework. He responds nicely to his mother. And here, his father and his and just have like a detached relationship because they lost their husband and Nick, not their wife and mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the whole like family aspect is big in the manga. At yeah. Least. Yeah. It's massive. Like in fact, and I feel like this is just like, a, this rise in too many tropes. It's like, you know, like, Oh, the long, the mother who was killed somewhere, or mother who was lost somewhere and the kid wants revenge. Yeah. And then a teen high school romance, which ends in a winter homecoming dance. And yeah, it's just like, it's, it doesn't feel like it's, enough time was spent to actually bring the story to American perspective and just like, you know, like, okay, we want to do Death Note in America because we don't want to do it in Japan. Yeah. And let's just do it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that was fine. Even if I'm guessing if they would have sanctioned like, even like a one season uh, TV show, right. like, you know, finish uh, the, like maybe have 10 episodes and uh, f- flesh out, flesh it out better. I think it would have worked better as even like a one season yeah, so show that rather than give a them two the budget, movie. right? They wouldn't give the budget to do, pull off the Seattle scenes towards the end. Probably, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so uh, do you guys think this show is way too Americanized and like, is that a deterrent uh, for this? Like, is it holding it back? So I wouldn't actually mind, even though it has created so much controversy before release, I wouldn't mind if it's Americanized as long as you put some thought into it. As long as the writing is credible, the characters are relatable, which yeah. Light is not. Or I'm not sure if the script is, script is that bad, of the actors cannot pull it off because mm. both those things don't work for me. Mm. I mean, even though I I was sli- slightly connected in the beginning, the Ryuk in- introduction was a little quite nice for me and mm. it worked. From th- from that point on, the movie just starts to fall apart. Mm. I mean, the first thing in the anime Light Kills is a actual criminal. Mm. The first yeah. person Light Kills in the movie is not an actual criminal. He's mm. just a bully. That really changes things. So the, in the anime, he actually considers that, right? He considers killing a bully and he's like, no, I don't want to do this. This mm. is probably t- too far. But the first thing Light does in the movie is kill a bully. And you're just like, uh, I'm not sure that that guy is really, you know, knows what he's doing with the lift note. Mm. 
yeah so it also like makes the character a lot more immature right that yeah i mean mm. it's okay to make it immature if you have like an arc to follow mm. but when you don't have a reading me arc when you don't really when you want to follow so many things when you want to follow light and mia and their jealousy and their relationship and how it plays into other things you just you just know not not enough time to that or it's not even convincing in the first place so i'm it wouldn't even matter if they had 20 episodes 30 episodes because the writing is bad hmm. yeah okay. i think I, i think i would agree with akhil i mean the the casting was sort of okay and probably it was down to the writing maybe the writing wasn't really spot on and the script wasn't really good enough uh, i would I, mean, i would say that the guy who played l uh did a pretty good job i mean i would say like he did mimic the same little uh, quirks and nuances that are uh, there uh, in the character in the anime as well so he pulls that off pretty well mm. but i think overall it just it does it just feels a little bland hmm okay so yeah i mean uh, for everyone i guess we are like all agreed on the fact that we're going to be recommending the anime or the just read the manga even that is quite good yeah i mean if you don't yeah. have time to read just watch the anime Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't have time to watch the anime then don't watch, watch something the movie. else. Yeah. yeah. Don't watch the movie. Don't watch the movie basically. It'll ruin it for you. So that's all for this episode of Transition and we'll see you with another episode next week. As always, if you have any questions, comments or feedback, don't forget to write to us at podcast@gadgets360.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate us on iTunes either. A five-star rating definitely helps a lot. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram at @gadgets360. And the music for this podcast comes by Magnus Solai Paulson whose album PPP PPP is where the tracks are from thanks for listening